Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to 2 Samuel 6. It's one of those passages where uh, some of you probably be familiar with this. 2 Samuel 6, 1. And before we read this, um, I'll just say a few words about the ark. The ark of the covenant is the most important piece of furniture in the whole Old Testament. The most important box. Because it represented the presence of God. And so the people of Israel really, really valued the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant got captured by the Philistines. And it was an interesting time because the nation of Israel were going through, um, well, they went, they went, a, they went through a, a battle with the Philistines and they were losing the battle. So they decided what was going to help them was the Ark of the Covenant because after all, when they were going to cross into the promised land uh, and the priests had to pull the ark on their shoulders, as soon as they step in the Jordan, something supernatural happens. So they know whenever the ark shows up, supernatural things take place. I mean, that's, that's good belief system. And we believe whenever the presence of God shows up, things happen. Amen, somebody? So they have this mindset that, look, we're in a difficult circumstance right now. The enemy is hammering us. So what we need is the presence of God. And they were right. However, they brought the ark into the battle. And when they brought the ark into the battle, he says the Philistines got scared because there was such a shout from the people of God. How many know this scripture I'm talking about? Okay. They, there was such a shout from the people of God. The Philistines got scared. And then they said to themselves, you know what, let's just fight anyway. So to the surprise of the Philistines and to the surprise of the people of God, the Philistines were able to defeat the people of God in spite of the fact that the ark was there. Now they have a a crisis of faith because they're in a situation where they're being hammered by the enemy and they thought the presence of God coming in would bring a resolution to their challenge. However, the opposite happened. Have you ever been in a situation where you think God is going to do something and does something completely different to what you think is going to do that disappoints you? You know, I was speaking somewhere recently. Gosh, I've been in America for three weeks and I've spoken about 20 times. So I forget which way I was speaking. But I was making this point and it it, it, kind of is coming more reality to me as we uh, come closer to the return of Christ. That persecution is going to increase. Because in our charismatic theology, I feel like we don't have provision for trials and tribulations and martyrdom. That we just want to shout our way into breakthroughs, but, and it's not wrong, don't get me wrong, I'm going to do that too. However, there are times where God allows people to die for his name's sake. And we often don't have a grid for that. In fact, the American church, in my view, in my perception, in my little understanding, does not have a a grid for that at all. And one of the scriptures that gives me a bit of an idea of this is the three Hebrew boys. They were facing death, and this is what they said. They said, God is able. So they had confidence in God's ability. 
But it didn't stop there. They said, he will deliver us. So it wasn't just an abstract reality out there. They made it personal. God will deliver us. But then they had a third category that we don't even think about. They said, but even if he doesn't, my goodness. <laughs> so they made provision in their theology for God not to show up. And in that scenario, they still didn't bow to the enemy. My, do you understand the depth of faith that is? It's easy to shout and praise God when life is great. It's easy to shout and praise God when the bank account is full and you have all your needs met. But I'm telling you, it takes real faith to be able to praise God when it feels like all hell is broken loose against you and you still feel sickness in your body and you, feel, you still feel as broke as ever before and everything seems not to be shifting, but you're saying, Lord, I still trust you even if this doesn't move. That is the kind of faith that the Lord wants to develop in these last days. Believers that will not bow under the pressure. The pressure is going to increase. It says in Isaiah 60, darkness covers the earth. And great darkness the people. So what that means is, you could put that in the context of the last days. As we near the return of Christ, the darkness is going to increase. However, even though darkness covers the earth, it says, but the glory of God arises. In the midst of the darkness, the Lord is moving. In the midst of the oppression, the Lord is releasing breakthroughs. Side by side, the enemy thinks, in fact, the enemy doesn't realize that as he is building up things in terms of the darkness, the pornography, you know, all the sexual stuff in the culture, gender confusion, all that's going on, as it's increasing in intensity, the enemy doesn't know that he's actually setting the perfect stage for the greatest outpouring of God the nations have ever seen. Because if the enemy knew what he was doing, he would not have crucified Jesus, right? Because that was the pathway for the Spirit of God to be released on all flesh. So... The three, the three Hebrew brothers had this theology that I believe the Lord is wanting us to embrace more of. God is able, and he will. But if he doesn't, we don't bow. <laughs> we don't bow to the culture, the system, to the darkness. So here you have the children of Israel. They are in a moment of crisis because they believe God was able, and they believe God was going to deliver them, and God did not deliver them. In fact, the ark was captured. So now they're wondering what is going on. And for you to understand how much they valued the ark, when the news got back to Eli that the ark was captured, he heard about his sons dying, no reaction. The moment he heard the ark was captured, he fell over and died, broke his neck and died. One of the sons of Eli, the, the wife, uh, was pregnant with a child and she heard about her husband dying, no reaction. She heard about the ark being captured. She goes into labor, gives birth to her son, and doesn't even call this child after, doesn't name the child after the husband. She names the child after the tragedy of the ark departing. That's to show you how much they valued the ark of the covenant. So we have to ask the question, how is it that they brought the ark in and still lost the battle? Well, we need to backtrack and see how the ark was meant to be brought into the battlefield. The ark was meant to be brought into the battlefield on the shoulders of people. That's how the ark is always meant to be carried, on shoulders. And that's very important. We're going to come to that in a bit later. Now, 
In this scenario though, when you back up, you realize that the sons of Eli were the ones around the ark. And if you know your scriptures, the sons of Eli, for those of you that don't know, were living in so much immorality, God was so mad at the lifestyle that was tolerated by these boys because they were sleeping with people at the entrance of the temple. Can you imagine that in the 21st century church? That's just mind-blowing. So they were living in immorality, and somehow it was tolerated in the culture. See, this is what Jesus says in Revelation. This I have against you. Uh, it was going to the church of Tertiary, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Let me just make this late. Jezebel in this culture is a spirit, and it has no gender. So it works through men, works through women. Isn't it interesting? This is just a side note that oftentimes people are quick to label women Jezebels who have strong personalities and maybe lack a few people skills. <laughs> but a man having the exact same issues is never called that. Hello, somebody. <laughs> so we need to be careful just labeling people that. But Jesus talking about Jezebel says, you tolerate her. In other words, she's able to function unchallenged. And I said this yesterday, what you subconsciously tolerate and come, what you tolerate and what you allow, you subconsciously come under its influence in a way where it starts to affect your behavior. What you don't consciously stand against, you subconsciously come under. And so, the sons of Eli were around the ark. So it's probably likely that the sons of Eli were the ones carrying the ark on their shoulders into the battlefield. Maybe that's a picture of what's going on in the church today. Where we want the presence to come and fix our problems, but God is concerned about the shoulders that carry in the presence. You can't just get the presence to come and do what you want, when you want, how you want. He's concerned about the, about the vessel that's going to host the presence. He is a holy God for a reason. He's given us the Holy Spirit for a reason. In other words, we are called to live holy. The message of holiness may not draw a crowd in these last days because these days people are looking for preachers that will preach their messages that just make them feel good. The message of holiness may not draw a crowd, but that is the message that will build the end time army of God. As the darkness increases, God puts an increased demand on us in consecration to him. So others may get involved in all kinds of things, but we may not because we're called to a higher purpose. When God has a special mission, he puts a demand on a life for a special lifestyle. The sons of Eli were probably carrying the ark into the battlefield, and so the ark gets captured by the enemy. And, you know, when the... If you know the story, the, the enemy captures the Ark of the Covenant and God starts to inflict them with all kinds of judgment. And so they decided, look, you know what? We're going to send the Ark back. So 
Yeah, they sent the ark back because they couldn't host the priest. In fact, they will have the ark and their gods will fall before the ark because nothing else is going to glory in the presence of God. Flesh will not glory, nor the idol will glory. He is exalted. He is meant to be on the throne. And every other idol, every other God dethroned. And so the enemy could not host the ark, obviously, so they decide to send the ark back. Now, something interesting happens before we get to this passage. The ark was meant to be carried on shoulders, and the ark was carried into the battlefield on shoulders. But when the enemy sent the ark back, the enemy sent the ark back on a cart. Now, let's read Second uh, Samuel 1, uh, 6, 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up the ark of God, whose name is called the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Verse 3, so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah, Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio, and sorry, I'll read that again. Ahio went before the ark, verse 5. Then David, listen to this, David and all the house of Israel played music before God, before the Lord, on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harp, on string instrument, on tambourine, on sistrum, on cymbals. Verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to touch the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died by the ark of God. I'm going to stop there because we could go on, but I'll stop there. I just want to back up to verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. Now, David, many years later, is decided he wants to bring the ark back, which is a good thing to do, to bring the presence of God back. And, you know, he brought the presence of God back with lots of singing and lots of dancing. David had a revelation of music in the way he hosted the presence of God. And he was doing all he needed to do to host the ark but something was wrong with this picture and God didn't do anything about it. There was lots of celebration. There was lots of dancing. There was lots of singing, but it was in the wrong order. The fact that the singing was going on, the fact that the music was going on did not mean that God was pleased because God was silent. Where did David learn how to bring the ark on a cart? Where did he learn that from? From the enemy. The enemy sent it back on a cart. David was bringing it in the way the enemy sent it out. But he built a whole new system that looks like the enemy's system to bring in the presence. God is not just concerned about where we get to. He's concerned about how we get there. God is so particular. He gave Moses precise instructions on how to build 
the tabernacle and the utensils and everything was very specific. God is specific about what he wants. Glory follows order. He had, in fact, when the temple, someone's temple was built, after all the things they'd done and they put everything in order and Solomon starts to pray, then the glory comes because things were built according to the order of God. If we're going to carry God, we need to submit our lives to his ways, his order. We cannot host the presence of God with our own ideologies of how we think it should be done. And I mean, we can push this further even when we talk about the ways sometimes we can do worship and we can do church. God has an idea and God has a, a, a way in which he wants us to host his presence. Now, what I'm about to say next is not judgmental towards all the songs we sing in church, but there's a time, uh, there's a time my wife and I were talking and I think I might have said something like this to her. Many of our songs today will not make it to heaven. Now, that's not to say that it's wrong for us to sing songs that are about God blessing us. It's not complete, or songs that are kind of prayers, you know. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if you look at the way worship is in heaven, you realize that the way we do worship on earth doesn't always align with the throne room. Because when we're in that throne room, it's only about one person. It's about him. So enough of you saying, oh, you know, I didn't really enjoy the worship today. The worship was not for you. <laughs> it's always for him. He's always going to be the one that's highly lifted up and exalted. In fact, you need to stop saying this. If you've been saying this every now and again, when you come to church, you're like, oh, you know what? I, I'm not just being fed today. I don't I, I hear that. I, I just... You know, thank God for pastor, but I, I wasn't fed today at church. Have you ever heard that? Well, let today be the last time you ever say that. What do you mean you're not being fed? Have you lost your Bible? What do you mean you're not being fed? Have you lost your prayer life? I have a two-year-old and she can feed herself. Stop placing all the responsibility on the pastor to feed you, to feed you, to feed you. Get out your Bible, start to fast, start to pray, and feed yourself. In fact, you don't just come to church to get a word from God. You come to church to get a confirmation of the word you are getting when you are at home. The 21st century church has become a nursery. Where babies are being fed, as opposed to a barracks, where warriors are being bred. We need to learn how to feed ourselves, fast ourselves, pray ourselves. This is the sort of army the Lord is wanting to raise up. In the midst of all the celebration that was going on with David, everything looked good on the outside, but God was silent, and it wasn't according to God's order. And the only place where things were truly revealed is when they got to the threshing floor. I believe COVID in a way was a kind of threshing floor. Where God starts to expose. And God is still going to keep exposing. Things that are man's methods. And what is truly his method. 
Where did David learn how to put the ark on a cart? He learned it from the enemy. And this is the interesting thing. When the ark is on a cart, it specifically says this. In fact, it names the people. It says, and they drove the new cart. Do you understand how out of order that picture is? They drove the cart. They drove the presence. It was meant to be on their shoulders, but they put it on a cart, meaning they did not want to have any responsibility. They did not want to feel the weight of it. Maybe one of the problems we have with many of our leaders today in the church is instead of them carrying the ark on their shoulder, they're trying to drive it on a system. They were driving the ark. When you drive the ark, you determine its pace. You determine the speed. But when the ark is resting on your shoulder, the weight of the ark determines your pace. The weight of the ark determines your speed. Because with every movement, you're feeling the weight of it. That's why he says in Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. When you feel the weight on your shoulders, you're in a position to release the government of God over situations. The government of God. When you feel the ark on your shoulders, it means you feel the pain of it. You feel the cost of it. Maybe part of the problems we have with many leaders today is there is no glory resting on their shoulders. That's why maybe you don't want to fast. Because that presence, when it came on Jesus, Jesus was baptized. And he says he was filled with the Spirit. And then the Spirit drove him. He did not drive the Spirit. The Spirit drove him. Church, who is driving you? Your flesh driving you? The world driving you? The American dream driving you? What is driving you? The problem with many of us in the church today is Jesus is in our car, but he's in the back seat. Or we may have put him in the front seat, but we are in the driver's seat. Well, it's time to hand over the keys to him and say, Jesus, I want you to drive me. Take me where you want. When he begins to drive you, it hurts. Even don't believe it, ask Jesus. When the Spirit drove him, he went into a season of no food for 40 days. You don't think that's hard? Try it. Because some people think anything that's of spiritual um, activity that requires effort is legalism. Have you, have you met Christians that, you know, every time, you, when we're going to fast, when we're going to pray, or if we're going to pray for long, or if we're going to pray hard, oh, you're just being legalistic. Just chill out. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Just rest in the victory of the cross. Now, that is true, but it's not the complete picture. Because Jesus said it is finished. Then Paul the apostle comes and says we wrestle. The fact that Jesus said it is finished does not mean you are finished. The finished work of the cross provides the platform for the current work of the Holy Spirit. 
And when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you let him, he will drive you into some wilderness type experiences. But many people are trying to avoid those experiences so they now want to put the presence on a cart. And they time it, one hour, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. And that's their bit ticked, done. They want to drive the presence. They don't want the presence to drive them. And we are, we're singing, bring the ark back. If we're asking him to bring the ark back, we're actually saying, Lord, we want to feel the weight on our shoulders. So that means next week, when you wake up in the morning and you're about to make yourself breakfast and you hear a whisper, fast. Remember the song you sang, bring the ark back. In that moment, you have a choice to let the spirit drive you or to let your flesh drive you. And if you decide not to submit to the Spirit's whisper of fasting, by the way, your flesh wouldn't ask you to fast and the devil would not ask you to fast, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> it says in the, in the book of Luke that Anna served the Lord with fastings and prayers. She served the Lord's agenda. So she wasn't fasting for breakthrough. She wasn't fasting for a job. She wasn't fasting for ministry opportunities. She was fasting to serve the Lord. When was the last time you fasted to serve him? No agenda, no agenda, just fast to serve him. Lord, I'm here without food. I'm just here to be in your presence, just to seek you, whatever you want. See, when we start to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we truly want his government, it is not easy. It's not easy on your flesh. God wants to kill you. God wants to slay your flesh. And the enemy wants to destroy your destiny. So you choose who you're going to submit to. I'd rather submit to the dealings of God. Part of the problem is we allow the cross to revolve around our lives. As opposed to living our lives revolving around the cross. So we allow, we're looking for comfort in our pursuit of God. And as I've read through the New Testament and the scriptures over and over again, I'm realizing God is not in the business of making me comfortable. And I know oftentimes, even in our American churches, the gospel that's preached is all about God just making me happy and making me comfortable. God is more concerned about you being holy than you being happy. So when you listen to the true gospel and you follow this, the true pattern of the scriptures, you realize that you cannot ever take the cross out of the gospel. The cross is going to be a part of your life. In fact, that's why Romans 12 says you're called to be a living sacrifice. That is an oxymoron because a sacrifice is dead. Why are you a living sacrifice? Because every day you have to die again. Every day, the flesh is resurrected and you have to die again. Your spirit is to the Holy Spirit what your flesh is to the devil. The enemy would exploit areas of weaknesses in your flesh to destroy your destiny. That is why you need to submit to the spirit so that he can drive you to slay the flesh. If we want to carry the ark and we want the ark to come back, then we're actually sentencing ourselves to death. 
If anyone desires to follow me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. You might want to ask him, Lord, where am I following you to? Well, you're following him exactly to where he went with his cross. So he didn't die on the cross just for your sins and for my sins. And yes, it did that. He died on the cross to show you how to die. He wants to kill us. <laughs> if you are not experiencing the death of the flesh in your walk with God, I have to say, I'm not sure you're walking close with him. Because he deals with tendencies. He deals with issues. Things you don't even know are there. And sometimes he asks you questions. For example, as I started to press into God in prayer some years ago, this was the question I felt the Lord asked me that I couldn't answer. It was this. And this is also for ministers and people in this room. Think about this. He said, James, are you okay to do what I've called you to do? Even if you appear like a failure in the eyes of the people you're trying to impress. The question was revealing ambition and things in my life that he wanted to slay. And so I need to now start submitting myself to his process so he can truly deal with me. Because you know the crazy thing? The enemy can bless your ministry. The enemy can bless your business. Especially when he knows he has a control. You see, that TV right there, if I have a remote control... I can push a button on the remote control and switch the channel of that TV, right? So the enemy can increase your ministry, increase your business, as long as he has a remote control and he knows that he has something in you. So when you're at the height of your influence and success, he pushes a button and switches your channel. And then... You, you become an embarrassment to the kingdom. And we're seeing these things happen over and over again. Because again, the church has got into this place of deception, thinking because someone is showing signs on the platform of excellent communication and excellent preaching, that means God is pleased with the life. I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. The anointing of God on your life is not a sign of his approval of your behavior. You could be anointed and stupid. You could be anointed and still live in sin. And people out here think everything is going okay. And then you step into self-deception and think because the ministry is growing, you're doing okay. You don't realize you're, you're being set up by the enemy. And so we get into this deception, thinking because things are okay on the outside, we think that means things are okay on the inside. God is actually more concerned about internal conditions. So you can have a growing business to the masses. You can have a growing ministry to the masses. At the same time, you could have a shrinking heart towards God. While your ministry is growing, your ministry could be growing out here and your heart is shrinking towards God and everyone is applauding you. You don't realize those, the applause of man, you, you, you get drunk on their applause and you actually, it's taking you to a grave because you're not concerned about what heaven is saying and we're so distracted out here and God is wanting us to return to the place where his ark starts to rest on our shoulders. There is a cost to carrying the ark. 
We have got to be in a place where we say, Lord, whatever that cost, whatever you're requiring of me, I want to lay down what you want me to lay down so that I can bear the weight of what you're wanting me to carry. And this is what I find. The more you submit to the dealings of God, the more the authority he places on your life increases. The more you submit to his dealings, the more he starts to entrust you with more and more. But we have to go through the dealings of God. Do you want the ark to rest on your shoulders? Because it is costly. It takes time for God to raise a man or woman. It takes time. The process that you go through, the, 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 how God molds and shapes you and how God disciplines you and how God deals with you, that process doesn't happen overnight. True men and women of God in America are scarce. And sometimes I think to myself, in, in Moses' generation, he walked the closest with God. In other words, he was able to see God face to face. Exodus 33, he spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses had a real intimate connection with God. So I want to ask you, when we look across Indiana, who are the people walking the closest with God from his perspective? When we look across America, who are the people walking the closest with God from his perspective? I am convinced it's probably not the preachers. Preaching is easy. Living this out and finding people that truly live in this out. God is wanting us to be people that don't just talk about this, but we submit ourselves to his process. In 2007, my life completely changed because I went to a gathering in Hamilton, Alabama called The Ramp. And the Lord called me to a 40-day fast. I'd never done a 40-day fast my whole life. And I did a Daniel fast in that time. And out of that 40-day fast, everything I'm doing right now came out of those 40 days. 40 days of fasting can be likened to the 40 weeks of pregnancy that a woman goes through. They're things that are birth in the spirit. That was an inauguration for me into a life of fasting and prayer. And I still fast today. And I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just saying that to help you understand that. We have taught a generation to feast and play. But the times demand we fast and pray. The American church needs to step into seasons of fasting and prayer because the battle that we, that's raging right now is nothing compared to what's coming. And God wants to lay a hold of us. Sometimes when I'm praying, I say, Lord, lay hold of me. Lay hold of me, God. Let there be the slain of my flesh. One of the ways God slays the flesh apart from fasting is the crucible of prayer. When you step into your prayer closet, like Jacob, Jacob stepped into that prayer closet, in quotes, and it became a wrestle. The wrestle began only when he had sent everything he had across the river. 
And then the Bible says, when he was alone, he wrestled. And there's some things that God will not do for you in a meeting like this. There's some things God reserves for when you are alone with him. God wants to say some things and do some things in you. And he sometimes would not do that in a meeting like this. It doesn't matter how anointed the preacher or the worship is. He's waiting for you to get alone with him. I remember in 2007 being in the meeting in America, in, uh, in Hamilton at the ramp. And as amazing as the meeting was, what was stirring up in my heart was I couldn't wait to get home to seek God in prayer. So I started to think to myself, what would happen if we start judging how incredible a Christian gathering is, not by the presence of God we feel in the meeting, but by the desire for God we have when the meeting is over that drives us to seeking Him. Because we can pray and worship in this setting, but there's some things God is wanting you to get alone with Him in. He wants you to be alone with Him. Then he can start to strip you. You're, you're almost like naked. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill that says this. The pulpit can be a shop window to display our talents, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. God is not impressed by your singing or your preaching. So everything is stripped away and you're right there. And that's what happened to Jacob. The wrestle began. And when breakthrough had happened, he came out of that place walking different. The sign that he had encountered God was seen in his flesh. You can't tell me you're praying. You can't tell me you're carrying the weight of the, or the, weight of the ark on your shoulders and you're coming out with pride. You can't tell me you're truly encountering God and you're coming out with lust. You can't tell me you're truly bearing the weight and you're coming out with envy, with jealousy, with backbiting, with all this junk. When you encounter God, he kills and slays flesh. Jacob came out limping and everyone could see this one had encountered God and they could see it because his flesh was in pain. Is your flesh in pain or is your flesh comfortable? When you get into the true presence of God, he deals with your attitudes. He deals with your tendencies. He shows you a mirror and says, get on the cross, get on the altar. He wants to deal with us, not because he hates us, but because he wants us to reflect his glory. He wants us to reflect his image. It takes time for God to make a man. It takes time for God to make a woman. But in our 21st century TikTok, Instagram generation, we want things so quick, so fast. But God is all about the process. He's all about dealing with us. And if we will submit to the process, that song we sang would carry a greater level of authority. Because he's really going to bring his ark. And it's really going to rest on our shoulders. And when you go to work and all you do is just shake your, uh, your colleague at work and just greet them, because you're carrying the ark, their demons are expelled. Because you're carrying the ark, the presence you're carrying is able to get through you. See, the Holy Spirit is in us for a reason to get out. But our flesh is in the way. 
And the more He slays our flesh, the more He can get through us. So we become a channel to release His life everywhere we go. The Lord wants us to bear the ark on our shoulders. I'm going to wrap up now, and then we're going to pray. The glory of the Lord, I believe, is going to increase in these last days that we live in. And I wrap up with this. The glory of the Lord that we are wanting to see, even though the perspective we have of the glory is not completely wrong, I want to just help you to see that that glory we're seeking, we don't always have a full perspective of what happens when the glory comes. In Acts 5, the church is in revival. Peter, his shadow is healing the sick. The same Peter and the apostles, it says, all the people came to them and all were healed. Not one or two people, all. I mean, that's glory showing up. They're put in prison. An angel comes and opens the door and lets them out. That is incredible. However, in the same book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied and they died. That is glory. (laughs) The same glory that caused people to die was the same glory that caused shadows to heal the sick was the same glory that caused them to be put in prison, that caused them to suffer persecution. So when we say we want the glory, we need to ask which dimension or which aspect of the glory are we wanting? Because when His glory truly starts to rest, persecution stirs up. People die in that glory. Ask Uzzah. He tries to stabilize the old system And God is like, well, this is an excuse for me to expose that that system is out of order. And God judges Uzziah, the flesh dies in the presence of God. So as the glory of God comes in, he brings, um, in fact, let me say it this way. The revival we are crying out for, we sang it, we want revival now. And I'm praying that too. I, I believe there are times where God holds back what we're praying for in his mercy because if he were to release it (laughs) some of us would be just dropping like flies and dying because we're tolerating Jezebel we're tolerating immorality we're tolerating deception we're lying and we're in the glory saying we want your glory and he's like no I'm not going to release my glory like you're desiring it because it comes with a lot of stuff that you're not ready for because you haven't submitted yourself to my process it's time to bear the ark on our shoulders I don't know if the musicians are up yes thank you can you stand with me as we started singing that song bring back the ark I was just stirred with this story For some of you in this room, as you leave this conference, you're going to start to feel the demands of God on your life in a new way. God loves you, 
But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have demands he wants to place on you if you truly want more of him. Because you're praying, you're saying, Lord, I want more of you. And he's also saying back to you that he wants more of you. And because he's a merciful father, he brings these invitations to us. Say, hey, do you really want more of me? Because it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you less sleep. He may be requiring you to wake up at strange times. It's going to cost you at some point less food. It may be requiring of you to fast in ways that it's not because the church has called a fast, a January 21 day fast. He's just calling you to press into Him. And you sometimes may not even know the full reason. He may be waking you up at strange hours, 3 a.m., 2 a.m. And you know it's not to go to the fridge to get some food because you can feel His presence calling you to pray. There is a cost to carrying the presence. It's not just goosebumps and us having a nice time in a meeting like this. There is a personal cost. And as, as we come to the end of tonight, I want to invite you to come forward. If you're in a place where you're saying, Lord, I truly want to bear the weight on my shoulders. You see, you don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you could say, Lord, I, I, I don't know what this fully means, but there is already a yes in my heart. I want you to bring back the ark, the weight of your presence that, that heals the sick, that brings deliverance, that brings transformation. I want to be a vessel. I want to be a carrier of your ark. Lord, drive me. I'm sorry for where I have been the one driving you. Drive me with the weight of your presence. I want to feel the responsibility of that on my shoulders. And if you're saying yes to that tonight, why don't you just come forward as a sign of just response to Him? And we're going to use this time to say, Lord, in the midst of the move in this church, raising up young leaders, raising up old lead, older leaders, in, in the midst of all you're doing, Father, we ask that this will be added to the mix, that we will be leaders, young and old, that will bear the weight on our shoulders. We want to serve you like Anna did. Lord, we don't want to just be stuck in church as normal, church as usual. We want something completely different. America needs a move of your spirit that's different to anything we've ever known before. For the sake of the states, for the sake of the nation, Lord, would you find here priests that are ready to bear the ark? Would you find here people that are ready to go through the process, even if it's painful? Here we are, Jesus. So just talk to the Lord in your own words right now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 